0: The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. It's great to be back for another fascinating week of rugby chat. Thanks to theraw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate your home of the biggest and best rugby discussion kicking around. Thanks to everyone who got in touch uh, after last week's fantastic chat with friends, Mel Herber. Uh, It was great to hear so many of you enjoyed it. Um, and you can do the same under the new episode page every Wednesday on The Raw or uh, hit us up on the socials or, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me this and every week. And ready to confuse the hell out of me with jargon and legalese, my co-host and global rugby wordsmith, Harry Jones. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you?
1: How's it? How's it, Brent? It's very good to see you. Very smiley today. I think you're in a good mood. This is
0: nice. Oh, okay. I'm actually feeling really, really tired, but that's, that's maybe another story for another day. <laughs> we, Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. We we just need to just pause on last week's chat with, with friends, Mel Herbert, don't we? It did several apps around the world uh, popped up in a couple of articles in south africa had a massive impact on our charts as well as much as we try to tell ourselves we don't obsess about them but it put us into the top 50 rugby pods in the u.s Uh, we made our first entry in canada we're back in the australian top 10 and the top 10 as well in south africa ireland norway and japan and the top 20 in new zealand so you know we did something right last week didn't we
1: Yeah, we're muddling our way through. You know, it's like we're lost boys in the jungle. We're finding our way. And thanks to everyone (laughs) listening to us, listening to our nonsense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you like an episode, um, you get in touch. Uh, Harry and I are both, both on Twitter, at Harry Baldy Jones and at BMC Sport. And, of course, the new episode page each week on The Raw, uh, as I mentioned. And through your pod, uh, your, your pod platforms, leave us a review too. We'd love to hear it. Anyway, so let's um, get into this week's guest, mate. I'm a, I'm a little bit scared about what I'm about to get myself into, but I'm looking forward to this. The Raw Rugby Podcast. Great to have on the Raw Rugby Podcast uh, a man whose name you may not recognise without the accompanying phrase, having conducted a detailed review of all the available evidence, including from the player and submissions from his legal representative. The reference, of course, is to sports lawyer and legal rep of choice for the rugby damned, Aaron Lloyd. Hello, Aaron. How are you going? Welcome to the podcast.
2: G'day, Brett. Uh, I'm well. G'day, Harry. Thanks for having me.
0: It's um Cheers. it's it's really good to have you on. I've been looking forward to this since we first swapped messages a few weeks ago. Um Harry's a lawyer by trade. So, you know, don't you two go all confusing on me tonight, all right? That's Harry, I'm keeping an eye on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Aaron, first question I have as a lawyer is who pays for this? Is the player paying for your representation or does the team pay on behalf? That's a good question. It depends where in the world I'm doing it, but Mostly, it's the
2: it's part of the players' contract. So, take New Zealand for example. The collective employment agreement that all the rugby players in New Zealand are employed under has a provision that provides that NZAU will pick up the legal fees for judicial work.
0: Ah, there you go. Right. So then that rules out my first question, Aaron. That was going to be. This isn't the case of no win, no fee, is it? <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> no, it's not. It's the occasional case of win bigger fee, but um, yeah, right. generally, generally speaking, no, it's. Uh, it's pretty universal. Uh, it's pretty universal for whatever we're doing.
0: Yeah, right, right. We, let's. We'll, we'll start with where we start every every week. Um, and you're a rugby fan as much as we are. And so, what stood out from you for for round thirty of uh, round thirteen of Super Rugby Pacific?
2: Oh, just that equality of the Trans Tasman competition getting stronger. You know, like uh, you know, the Rebels bounced back didn't they? and they played a decent yeah. amount of football. Uh, you know. That said, so did some of the other teams, and so including some of the Kiwi teams that hadn't gone so well. Um, oh, look, I'm just loving it. I'm like you guys, right? It's that, that equality, getting the Trans Tasman comp up and running, some of the equality of competition that we haven't seen in a
1: long time. It's just fantastic to see.
0: Harry, what's done for you this weekend?
1: know oh, I've got thoughts, eh? So I'm wearing, <laughs> oh. I'm wearing an Osterant jersey, and I want to note for the, the viewers and listeners, because I'll pop a few, you know, I actually fit into this Osterant jersey yeah. from fits 2007. It fits
0: into it very well, I should say. <laughs> where he
1: played Aaron Major, one of our pod guests uh, in Durban. Now, to me, uh, the Brumbies came into this big match against the Crusaders with a lot to prove. They played like the policemen they are. You know, they were regulatory. They, were <laughs> going through, they, were, had, they had the rules. And the Crusaders said, we're not even playing that. We are hallway pounders. We're bullies. <laughs> Try and catch us and prosecute us if you want. Well, you know, Aaron Lloyd will defend us later, but we are going to smash you at the game line. And they did it. And it looked like the Brumbies, they wanted the help from the ref. They were like... Is that okay? Can they do that to us? <laughs> yes, they can. Yes. And that was beautiful to see them coming in, not landing the plane, but taking off from the plane on the ruck, cleaning. Aaron will like that because they were not <laughs> going to get pinged by the ref for doing that. They came in low and hard yeah. and sickeningly, uh quick. So it was very nice to see uh, the robbers beat the cops.
0: I-, I like the cops and robbers strategy because um, in the second half, it actually looks like the Brumbies took on... Uh, Elliot Ness type, type, type figures and they figured that if we can't get them as police then we can get them maybe as tax investigators and come and get them a different way and the way they actually finished the half and proved that they could absolutely compete with the Crusaders as they had been competing with the three New Zealand teams that already beat uh, they went went back to what had been working well and bugger me if it didn't work well. So, you know.
1: But but Brent, what's going on with Angus Gardner doing scrum therapy? Uh, Early in the season, he was saying, stability, they want stability, I Mm. want stability. This week, it was... uh, he doesn't want you to touch him. He literally said that to a prop. Yeah. He doesn't want you to touch him. What is this? I don't
0: know how do are supposed to bind? I don't know how you're supposed to bind without that. Well, Aaron, I think you're
1: you... supposed to wait. I think you're supposed to wait for Gus to tell you to
2: bind. Yeah, well, there you <laughs>
0: go. There you go. Uh,
2: look, but don't you think that was the wake-up call the Brumbies sort of needed, yep. right? There was, yep. of compla- there was a risk of There was a risk of complacency creeping into their operation. It, it, yep. You know, and we all know. Players don't really get complacent, but actually they sort of do. Yeah, and they've played they've played so well, and they've proven themselves as being one of the top two or three teams in the comp, no problem. That all for of sure. a sudden, that was a bit of a wake up call for them. Yeah. And I think actually look out, look out this week, and and look out in, in the final week as well.
0: I I made that exact uh, exact point about the Brumbies and the Waratahs. In in fact, that that they'd be relieved to get a performance like that out of the way in round thirteen, and not in. Quarterfinal
1: or semi final, even. So, yeah, there's, so the, there's... The, the Blues. The Blues have the top spot, right? It's going to turn up. Is it?
0: Blues can lock it down this weekend. They're seven points clear of the Brumbies this weekend. Yeah. So, um, even I think a losing bonus point is probably enough for them this weekend. I think um, someone will tell me that I've, if I've got that wrong. But if they win, they, they, can, definitely, they can definitely lock it down. Aaron, you're a, a partner at, at Minter Ellison Rudd. Watts there in New Zealand? So, and that's you know, big, big law, big law firm, in generally speaking. But how did yep. you actually get involved in sports law uh, more broadly, and then rugby specifically?
2: Yeah, so sort of about twelve or thirteen years ago, we had a chap who was working with us um, part time who'd been the, the general counsel at New Zealand Rugby. Stephen Cottrell is his name. And Cots looks after the All Blacks and has done for, you know, since his time, time as GC mm-hmm. there um, doing this work. And I basically sat down one day and said to him, mate, that looks like a pretty good gig. How can I get in on that? Um, and he said, well, he said, if you really want to do it, um, let me introduce you to the touring teams this year and tell them you're available to look after them. And if you get a hearing, I'll, give you a bit of help in the background, and let you go to it. So in 2009, Italy came down to New Zealand to play a one-off in June. Nick Mallett was their coach, and uh, I ended up jumping on a plane and flying down to Christchurch to what I thought was going to watch a game and what ended with me defending the Italian captain on an eye-gouge charge and
0: and
2: sitting up up late at night with Nick Mallett, watching the Lions uh, um, uh, get beaten up by the Springboks and... uh, I think it was in Joburg and it was uh, it was a hell of a weekend and that was my first weekend of rugby work.
0: Yeah, right. Now, from memory, Parisi was looking at a really long suspension, wasn't he? And then you got it cut in half,
2: basically? Yeah, so there were two incidents that weekend. That was the second, over in South Africa, that was the second Lions um, test. And it was famous for two things, really. First of all, Skulk and about the Sixth minute of the game got yellow carded for an eye gouge at the bottom of a ruck. I mean, could you imagine that nowadays? Touch judge, <laughs> touch judge sees an eye gouge at the bottom of a ruck and he goes, yeah, you've got to give him a yellow card, right? So, so Scott gets a yellow card and then he gets sighted, unsurprisingly, and he gets nine weeks that yep. weekend. The other thing that was famous—that Springbok test—was that was the one where Bucky's boat had dislocated the shoulder of the Welsh prop. I forget his name now, but and then that led to the whole justice for Bucky's, and it was all Oh that yes, it was yeah. <laughs>
0: pre- prepare the armbands so, and
2: everything. So that so that was that weekend over in South Africa, and of course back here in New Zealand, we were just playing the Italians. And um, Sergio Parisi, one of the five nominated rugby players of the world that year, um, has a bit of a swipe across the face of one of the All black locks in a mall still not entirely sure what he was doing, but anyway, that was that. (laughs) And look, he got cited cited after the game, and I remember Nick Mallett saying to me as he was getting on the plane to leave, um, Sergio and I there, along with the team manager to deal with the hearing, he said, look, he should probably get 15 weeks. If you get him less than 12, we'll use you at the World Cup. And that was next parting comment as he got on the plane and left <laughs> and left the city so we went to the hearing he got eight weeks um and i got to look after them in 2011 for the world cup and i think he put a good word in with me with the box as well and from 2009 onwards I, looked, I started looking after the spring box as well when they were here so that's how it all sort of kicked off
0: yeah right and so you and you don't just do super rugby you you do major league rugby you've told us about you do numerous comps numerous international teams now as well
2: yeah i do nowadays so back in 2009 I started off looking after the inbound teams to New Zealand, so that was um, Tri Nations. Yep. So South Africa, New Zealand, Australia was in that comp. And back then, in you know, sort of two thousand nine, two thousand ten, we did all the hearings live the following day. Yeah. So when the box came into New Zealand or the Wallabies came into New Zealand, they needed someone local to look after them. So I so I did that. So my second and third hearings were for Jacques Ferry and Jean de Villiers, um, and then I got to do a hearing for Bucky's uh, Bolter. And um, so, for the first few years, I just looked after the inbound test teams while my friend Stephen was looking after the ABs. Yeah. And then and then slowly I would pick up the odd hearing at, at NPC level, at our domestic level, and then started picking up some super rugby stuff. And and now it's at a, you know, I'm now what, 12, 13 years in, and I'm now lucky enough to pick up a little bit up in the MLR. And I just did my first hearing in the Japan top league a couple of weeks ago. And, and, I was, and I'm doing a bunch of super rugby at the moment yeah. here. And, and yeah. Well, it's,
0: and, it's, and it's to the point now in, in Super Rugby where I, I actually take note of judicial findings that don't feature your name. <laughs> there's there's, there's yeah, that probably, that you do.
2: Yeah, look, I'm probably lucky enough to be doing about half of them at the moment in Super. Yeah. So, you know, I look after the five New Zealand teams and have done for a while now. Um, uh, I'm looking after the Waratahs for the last yep. two or three, probably three, three years now. Um, in Moana Pacifica. Um, I did a bit of work for the Sunwolves on and off, and, and I looked after the Hagiwari. Argentina, I do a lot of work for, so I've got a really good relationship with the guys yeah. in Argentina. and I look after their national teams wherever they are in the world nowadays, because nowadays, of course, most of our hearings are done remotely. Yeah. Um, so the, the box now use home council for whenever they've got their stuff on but I look after um, a bunch of teams remotely. The only live hearings really we need to do nowadays are we still do them for the June test window or the July test window. Yeah. Um, and then we um, do them at world cups. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: So, so what does a tip and let's, let's, and let's use super rugby, the, the SANS are uh, panel for, for the example, what's the typical judiciary process look like and, and, and how soon do you get involved?
2: Yeah. So, um, So basically the Sanzar process effectively mirrors the World Rugby process. So there's a World Rugby regulation called Regulation 17, which sort of tells you all you need to know about the depth of um, regulatory um, (laughs) material in rugby. Um, Regulation 17, um, which runs to, I don't know, 60 pages probably, Mm. it sets out all the judicial process. and, And... Every nation in competition is required to have its own rules based on Reg 17. So Senza has its own rules based on Reg 17, and there's a few options. You know, there's a little bit of variability around the world, but not a lot. Um, and essentially, it works like this: if you get a red card, or if the citing commissioner, who I kid you not is the person whose job it literally is to watch the game and see if the referee misses anything, yeah. um, if the citing commissioner cites you or you get a red card, then you're straight in front of the judiciary. Um, or if you pick up three yellow cards in the season in front of the judiciary. And then and then what happens is there's a sort of a triage system called the foul play review committee, yep. which is chaired by a judicial officer with a couple of ex-players or, or, or ex-coaches, or um, but for Sam's are, I think they're all ex-players. Yep. Um, and they sit on a Monday night and they consider everything in, in, for, sort of in a triage system, first instance. So what you do is you fire material in, into them in writing uh, and then they contact you on Monday night and say, well, we've had a look at it, and what we think is this. And usually it's what we think is that we're going to uphold the red card or we're going to uphold the siding. The sanction is going to be X. Uh, do you accept it? And if you accept it, then it gets resolved in that first um, yeah, pass right. like. Yeah, Yeah. If it doesn't, if it doesn't get accepted, so they either don't give you what you want or um, you, you, you can't live with what it is they put on the table, then you go to a, a proper hearing which happens yes. on a, usually a tuesday, tuesday or a wednesday night yeah yep. and then that's done by zoom so very similar to this um usually takes a couple of hours um give or take and then that decision becomes public so the foul play review committee decision doesn't necessarily yes. c- only becomes public if it gets accepted yeah
0: yep. Other-
2: otherwise it's what we would refer to as a sort of without prejudice um uh, thing and but then the Wednesday hearing definitely becomes public whether you like it or not. And if you don't like it, you've got the choice of going on appeal to an appeal committee. Um, But just as with real, real law, appeals are hard because you don't just get an appeal um, because the appeal committee thinks they would have done it differently. You only went on appeal if you can persuade the appeal committee that the judicial committee was so far off base that they shouldn't have done it. Um, and all of that gets done, and if you have an appeal, usually that happens within a couple of days too because oftentimes you're fighting about whether a guy can play the following Friday or Saturday, yeah. so you
1: need to turn, you need to turn around pretty quick. So I um, just want to point out uh, that Bucky Sports' hit was entirely legal. Adam Jones has always said that it was a completely legal run clearing. It was just very def- It was very brutal, that's all.
2: Oh, I thought you were talking about my one I was going to say, my one was a headbutt um, Which definitely wasn't legal But that was okay
1: for, uh, <laughs> uh, On the back, on the, so that the, the halfback Pulled him back, and I think Bucky's was Winning that race, and to be fair If a lock can ever beat A number nine in open <laughs> field Like that, <laughs> I mean, come on What, he deserves a headbutt Is that really it where you're just- going? he definitely didn't it deserve it but,
0: but
2: but but it was but it certainly was it certainly was provoked but yeah no, no very not wrong. cheeky
1: very it was very cheeky that pullback yeah. uh so i wanted to ask you a few questions about process uh, obviously one of the things that accelerates uh this kind of hearing is the need for speed so in real life if we were talking about a, a worker and wages lost and and justice, we would never go this fast. So we would you would subpoena the person involved in the in the incident. Are you able to subpoena the other person in the tackle or bring them into uh, testimony? Or do you just have to rely on the, your player um, you know talking through the incident?
2: No, I had a good question. It's a bit of both. So what happens is um, the governing body, so take Sansa, for example, the guys at the back behind the back room in Sansa, they work pretty quickly to get a medical report and a player statement from the victim in relation to the victim player. We get referee reports written pretty quickly and delivered. And then if we want to, we can, if we go to a hearing, a proper hearing, we can advise the committee that we would like to have those
1: people called as witnesses if we want to yeah. question them. Um, and then are you allowed to cross-examine those witnesses or are the, cues or the judicial panel the one asking questions? Yeah,
2: so technically the questions go through the judicial chair. Um, so if you were to play it, Strictly by the book, I would say to the chair, I would like you know the witness uh, to answer the following question, and then the judicial chair would turn around and interpret it. But provided you know the, the, the judicial panel trusts the way you're going to operate, and provided you do it with respect, then generally speaking, you get to put whatever questions you want to the witnesses. But but oftentimes, you know, guys, you sort of we've got you know video for 15 different angles or whatever it is. You know, at a test match, we have literally I think it's like 15 different angles of video. Mm. Um, certainly, at, even at Super Rugby level, you've got eight or nine. Um, you know, Nothing nothing tells the story like the video. Sadly, nothing tells the story like the video in ultra-slow, ultra-motion. Um, <laughs> um, but nothing tells the story like the video, and by the time you've got the player, the video, and any comments in writing from the referee, when I mean, oftentimes I don't want the referee there in person, right? I just want whatever they've said in writing, because at least yeah. then I know what it is. If I get the referee live, heaven knows what he's going to say. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes I won't get near other witnesses and you don't need to, you know, you can sort of, it's not rocket science. You know, we're all rugby people. We get the game most of the time. Um, so you just sort of work with the player, the video and the written material you've got generally Harry. Yeah.
1: yeah they so- seem to take it very seriously too. The panel, even though they're not really bound by law to do exactly, you know, presidential things, it looks like they really take their time. They, they do make really good opinions um, but it looks like a big factor is remorse or some kind of uh, yeah. the player's attitude. Is it something that you can prep uh, players for? You know, like are you the remorse coach? Are you are you, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you able to bring you know like hey, just make sure that it looks like you're really penitent for smashing that guy?
2: Um, look, there's a few. You, know, you see, I, I often see a lot of criticism saying I can't believe that guy gets half as suspension off because he was remorseful and he was respectful and it's the first time he's ever done it. Right. Um, But that's the system we have is that for first time offenders provided, you know, you are respectful of the system provided the committee believes you've genuinely shown remorse. um, You know, a lot of these guys are not bad guys, right? You know, they're not, they don't go out there to hurt people. They just go out there to play competitively. And sometimes it's an error. Sometimes it's a bit of red mist to the head. Um, whatever it is, so um, am I the remorse coach? No, but what you know, the teams that I work with, the team managers are pretty good at making sure that their players have done the right thing. But actually, you don't need to, right? I mean, the number of times I get hold of a player on a Sunday morning um, and say to him, "Right, well, tell me what happened," he will have he will have gone and spoken to the guy in the change rooms yeah. afterwards. He will have reached out to him on social. You know, he yeah. he will have done all those things because actually, we are a community, and, and there is a bit of a code amongst us around you know we're out there to play hard but we're not out there to hurt you know to be to be to be to be dirty right i mean i I think the days of dirty play have gone by and large i mean i'm sure there's still some out there Um, but the higher up the levels you go this is a profession it's a job you know they they know they could be on the end of it the following week there's a respect there's a there's a code i think that gets respected Mm. um but look, I think, you know, look, I'll give you an example of where that does matter, right? So I had a case at the 2019 World Cup where one of my players didn't show up for the judicial hearing, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm literally on the train in Tokyo on my way to the judicial hearing, and I get a telephone call from the liaison, the Japanese liaison person, who says to me, Oh, your player's not going to be able to come to his judicial hearing. I said, No, 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 you don't understand. He needs to come. And she said, No, 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 you don't understand. He can't come. And we got to the bottom of it. And in the end, I arrive at the judicial hearing thinking, well, how am I going to deal with this? And the judicial chairman just says to me, Mr. Lloyd, you've got a problem. I understand your player's not here. And I'm thinking, how on earth did you know that? But now I'm just dealing with it. (laughs) Um, And of course, the Japanese were very open. And so after ringing me, they rang him and said, this player's not going to come. And the committee said to me, look, this is really disrespectful. This is really problematic. The player not being here, you know, should we be charging him with misconduct for not showing up? And I remember saying to the committee, well, no, we often talk about how you give it a pretty uh, you know, discount because of the respectful way in which he showed up. I guess this player doesn't get his discount. And the committee looked at me and went, yeah, that's right. And we went on and we dealt with the hearing in his absence. And he got an an entry point of eight weeks, discounted by one week for a guilty plea through me for a seven-week suspension in circumstances where if he'd been there and he'd been respectful and he'd actually given the committee what was... You know, the appropriate level of respect in their eyes, he probably would have ended up with four weeks, not seven weeks. So you yeah. know, it, 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 it does make a difference. And the more you're in front of the judiciary, the less credit you get, right? You know, that's yeah. a truism. What it's is- almost
1: like an? It's almost like an internal disciplinary process, like a like a military or college. And mm. it seems like you're the only, you're the it's outsider in this in this case. I mean, it's really a disciplinary situation with a review. Where the people are really doing their best obviously they're trying very hard but there's not really an accountability like a real appeals court where they could say points of error one three and five reversed so what's it like coming in as the outside lawyer i mean do you're trying to develop a relationship we have credibility you know you know don't make arguments in this case that later on the next case they're going to say well aaron always makes those kind of arguments
2: yeah um there's a few things there right i mean i i think um I, I wouldn't want people to be cynical about the legitimacy of the process just because it's a sort of made-up process, right? I mean, it's a made-up process in the sense that World Rugby write their own regulation and said yeah. this is how we're going to do it, and we have a tribunal. In legal terms, right, we talk about it as a, it's a private law arrangement, right? So it's, right. it's not a legislature from a parliament passing a law. It's a private body, World Rugby, yep. passing rules and regulations in order to regulate its own processes. But it works very much like a court. Um, we have judicial hearings. If we don't like the outcome, we have a time frame to appeal. We have to lodge points on appeal, like you do if you're lodging an appeal in a court of law. Your points on appeal have to be on either, generally speaking, have to be on matters of, of what we would call law, um, so matters of interpretation. And 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 as I was saying before, the hurdle to get over on an appeal is really tough because they will give deference to the first. Uh, instance committee in the same way that an appellate court will give deference to a first instance court. So, you know, for a a lawyer coming into this process, it's all very familiar if you're a courtroom lawyer, particularly if you're, say, a criminal courtroom lawyer, and you're very familiar with that kind of process. It's that kind of process that gets replicated. Um, And in fact, I've heard commentary from one of the very senior judicial officers out of the UK, um, who says that he thinks that some of the best you know, advocates, but also some of the best judicial officers in the system are guys and women who are criminal lawyers, um, because yeah, right. um, because they have a good feel for credibility. They have a good BS detector to work out when people are telling <laughs> them the truth and not the truth. And so it runs in a very similar process to that. Yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, yeah, I'm an outsider in the sense that I'm not a professional rugby guy, right? Um, I feel like less of an outsider now than I did 12 years ago. Mm, sure, but um, but actually, a lot of the judiciary, the judiciary are independent. And we'll talk about whether they really are or not in a minute. But they are independent of World Rugby or Sansa. They are all lawyers, um, and who, in terms of the judicial chairs, they're yes. all lawyers. Yep. Um, they're generally QCs, aren't QC, nice, they? Generally QCs, or yep. occasionally even even judges. Yep. Um, so they're very senior, very well regarded, either QCs or judges generally. And then they have appointed to them a real mix of ex players, referees. Um, we're probably working, I would imagine, on a two-thirds to one-third male to female ratio in the judiciary. So we're getting yeah. more and more women in the judiciary. Um, certainly, I've noticed that lately, and that's that's been fantastic. Particularly um, the women rugby players who bring their game experience as well, right? So you know, it's becoming a much like rugby is becoming um, more diverse. The judiciary is becoming more diverse, um, and we're getting some very senior lawyers involved in it. So, yeah. so we're all sort of outsiders in the judiciary room, and to to a greater or lesser extent, really.
0: Is is the is the process itself when you, when you're in the middle of a hearing? Um, is that process as uh, as as regimented and as templated, if I can word it that way, as the the public statements that do come out because we see them of a, of a Tuesday morning and they have absolutely taken the, you know, the foul play suspension template. And they've gone insert player here, insert opposition here, insert minutes here. Here's the, he's the panel members with regard to sanction. We looked at ABC and D You know, because of his good record conduct in the hearing. We, you know, uh, we, we, we mitigated from six down to three and six down to three is almost the running joke of judicial finding. So is it is it similarly prescribed and, and, and regimented for you in, inside the hearing?
2: Look, I, I, I can only speak for my hearings, but the answer for me is no. Right. Um, and I think I think the best indicator of that is the length of time some of these hearings take. The mm. foul play review committee process, it might be. Mm. Um a little bit more regimented because that is a triage system that we yes. go through where we complete written submissions, we send them and they deal with them. Sansa call us, talk to us about it. So it's 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 a slightly more regimented process. But if you go into a midweek hearing on on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, you know every hearing is different. Actually, I mean yeah. they sort of they sort of follow the same process. Um, committee will introduce themselves. I might give a very quick explanation of where we're heading, but then I don't say much more because I let the player speak player talks about what happened the committee quizzed the player we've watched we watch the video um, then I give some submissions the committee will quiz me um, I'll give responses if we've got a coach who's going to be there to talk about some technical aspects then they might speak in as well and they'll be quizzed by the committee and then and then the committee will go off and deliberate and come up with a decision but you know that, that process can take anything from when the shortest hearing I've had is probably 20 minutes that doesn't happen very often. There's probably only three or <laughs> three or four in a hundred and something. Um, the longest hearing I've had has gone about four hours. Yeah. right. Um, again, that, that's not very common either. Your average hearing is probably an hour. Um, and, but you know, it, you know, in an hour you get a lot of dialogue and a lot of debate, and a lot of discussion. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty, I mean, they're very inquisitorial, right? I mean, I, there's no prosecutor in outside of a rugby world cup. Um, We don't have prosecutors, and even in a World Cup, they're not called a prosecutor. They're there to present the case on behalf of World Rugby. But in a Sanza judicial hearing, for example, there's no person presenting the case. the The case is the video, it's the refs report, and it's the quizzing from the committee. So it's an inquisitorial process, and and boy, do they
1: inquisit. (laughs) Aaron, Aaron, it's so a funny memory I had getting ready for this pod. Uh, my son and I were in Auckland for the World Cup 2011, and we were walking down the street and it was, it was the right after uh, Warburton got the car and we were walking down the street in Auckland and we saw Sam Warburton, we saw Warren Gatlin, we saw a group of guys in blazers and literally I have a picture of, of him, you know, over his shoulder and I'm trying to find that picture because i want to find, am I going to find you? You, you might
2: you might find me. Um, funnily enough, if you ask Sam, he, he wouldn't remember that. But that's a, that's a that's a different point. But yeah, no, I did. Um, I did Would... Sam's. I did Sam's red card. That hearing was uh, long. That hearing. So, you know, I'm sure everyone will remember. But it was a Saturday night game. The, yeah. uh, Wales played France, and in the 17th minute of the game, he got red carded. Um, for a tip tackle. And it was a pretty bad tip tackle, right? I mean, you know, I think at the time we might have had a bit of an argument about it and I know um, Warren Gatlin was pretty upset about it, but I think if we all look back at it now with passage of time and we looked at it, we'd go, yep, fair cop. That was a, It was an unfortunate but pretty bad tip tackle. And um, so Sam gets red-carded. Wales go on to fractionally lose, really, that semi-final, right? Yeah. You've got to think that if he'd been there if he'd been there for the duration of the game, the All Blacks might not have won the World Cup in 2011, and the Northern Hemisphere might have had a rear win. But, um, but anyway, history says that's not what happened. So on the Sunday, I had a couple of judicial hearings. On the Sunday, I actually had one for Italy earlier in the day. For some reason, and I can't remember what now. Uh, it was a it was a breach of the participation agreement. So at a World Cup, every team and player signs a contract with World Rugby that says. We won't do this, and we won't do that. And it's yeah. it's where I won't wear a branded mouth guard. I won't, you know, wear yeah. a jersey that I shouldn't wear. All that sort of stuff. So anyway, you know, I had a I had a commercial hearing that morning on the Sunday morning for Italy, and then I had Sam's judicial that evening. And that evening, the Wallabies played us uh, or uh, the All Blacks at Eden Park, and I had tickets to that game. And I was sitting there, and the hearing just kept going and going and going. And in the end the hearing finished and I couldn't get to Eden Park in time to watch the game so I had to go down to the viaduct and watch and watch one of the greatest all black victories over the Wallabies in recent memory. I don't know if you remember the the dive in the corner and flick the ball back in for this for the try. And it was just tremendous. But anyway, I'm just rubbing that in Brett. Um, but, um, <laughs> oh look guys, I'm Herring, sorry we're
0: we run out of time. We're very, very sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Warburton,
2: the Warburton Herring ran for like three three and three and a half hours, right. And um and in the end he got three games, right which in the great scheme of things, which objectively you look at that and you go, I think he got two or three games. And I thought, you know, objectively you go, actually, that's not a bad result for a pretty bad tip tackle. But of course, um, any game meant he was going to miss the playoff. And as much yeah. as people go, oh, the third and fourth playoff doesn't matter, it matters. Right? When you've When you've just missed out on a final, it matters. You want to go out there and you want to yeah. prove a point. And I really felt for Sam. Um, clearly, I didn't feel for him well enough because I ran to the bookstore to pick up his autobiography to see what he had to say about it. And he mentioned all of the team that went to the judicial hearing, but me. So clearly, I lost with him.
1: <laughs> Not at uh, At least he didn't misspell uh, you your name or something. Yeah, so, I um, that would
2: have I, maybe that would have been better. I don't know. I, I, my name is Lloyd, right? If a Welshman can't spell that, you know, we're we're in trouble.
0: Rugby on the roar. Aaron, I'm fascinated to know that uh, looking through all the guys in Super Rugby this year that that have had red cards downgraded to a warning, what used to be the off-field yellow, um, and it's Sammy Penny Finnair of the Chiefs, it's Angus Bell uh, of the Waratahs, and just this week, Paddy Ryan of the Waratahs, you were their legal rep. Um, Tom Banks, interestingly, didn't have a legal rep name, but I'm sure... There was one involved there somewhere so but, but what's the i'm wondering what's the approach in in all of those and i and, and i know you've told me a few little things about the the approach for angus bell for example so obviously you look at each one differently and on their merits so what how, how do you try and go about that case when, when it when it comes to you on a sunday morning
2: yeah so generally what i do is um you know and everyone's different. And by the way, I don't think banks did have a lawyer in there. And um it certainly wasn't nice. I think I think the team I, 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 I I'm meaning to find out, but I think the team basically threw his foul play submission together themselves and submitted it and had the best success of the season, right? I mean he yeah. so, <laughs> it's, so so what does that yeah. say, right? Yeah. What does that say? <laughs> but anyway, um I'd like let's not talk about that. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to think that Angus Bell and Patty Ryan and Semi and female would think that I did something good for them. So, um, so, look, let me give you the bell example. So, I get a text from Philip, the Waratah's manager, mid game or towards the end of the game saying, Can you please have a look at this? And I was watching the game, so I'd seen it. And um, so, I had already, Saturday night, I think it was, wasn't it, was the game. Um, yeah. I'd already had a couple of looks at the video that evening. You know, I looked at it in half time and then I looked at it again at the end of the game and I made a few notes in. My initial thought when I saw it live with Angus Bell was actually, you know what, he's tipped him. It's gone through the 90s, landed dangerously. There's probably not a lot I'm going to be able to do with that. Right? We're probably going to have to cop that. But then when I looked over the video at half time, I saw that there was a couple of other players involved in the tackle. Yep. And in particular, I saw what looked like Angus Tava, um, the Chiefs prop, grabbing um, Sam Kane's jersey, presumably to try and bring him to ground, right? because yeah. you know bring him to bring yourself to ground as magic get caught up in the more bad um, so I did that then on Sunday I reached out to the Waratahs and I had a chat to the team and to the player and I always I always say to them what do you guys see what do you think tell me what your guys' reaction to it is because you know I'm a analyst right you know I can watch the game and I can watch the incident but you know, you know, even after 12 or 13 years of this, I still not, don't know what it's like to be in the middle of it. I still yeah, don't know what that decision-making process is. And the other question I always want to ask is, what were you trying to do? Because if I can start from a story of what I was trying to do was legitimate and okay, and here's how it went bad, Yeah, that's a better story to be telling than the alternative, front. Yeah, so, right? So the best thing about Angus Bell's one was this, actually. If you go back and look at the video if you, can, if you can get access to the side that is from uh, Kane, behind Kane, looking towards uh, the Waratahs goal line, what you see is Angus Bell set himself up brilliantly for the, initially for the tackle. He's low, his arms are wide, He's going around both of Kane's legs. and a tip tackle, the real danger is going around one leg. Yeah. He's going around both of Kane's legs. He's low. His head's to the side. It's actually almost textbook positioning to begin the tackle. And then it starts going wrong. Kane starts twisting. Um, Angus gets pulled around so that he's then latched onto one leg. Um, and, you, and I'm wondering, well, why is the twist and latching occurring? And then you see, well, I think what it is, is it's this involvement of these other players. So you sort of slowly yeah, start right. breaking it down. So then by Sunday afternoon, between talking to the team, talking to the player and reviewing the video, I've got a bit of a account of it, which to me seems that it's not all his fault. Yeah, um, Should he have still done better? Sure. But is it red card territory? Um and that's the that's the magic question, right? Yeah. Um, so we write the subs up, we send it in. Foul play review committee agrees with us, downgrades them to a, a yellow card, and and we think that's that's a good result. That's that's and it's a fair result, right? And you know, look, sometimes I get decisions out of a judicial committee that I think you're being too harsh, but we're going to have to live with it. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Clark was one for me this year like that. Yeah. But also, yeah. I look, I I've also got to acknowledge, I don't have object. By the time I'm involved in a case, I'm, I'm losing a degree of objectivity, right? Yeah, so,
1: sure.
2: you know, I look at Caleb Clark and I've got people around me going, you're crazy. Of course, it's a red card. It's a red card every day of the week. No, I'm no. going, I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit harsh, but I've lost. So I don't, I don't claim to have perfect objectivity anymore on these cases. But, you know, I get cases like Angus, uh, Paddy Ryan's on the weekend. I think yeah. those are absolutely the right calls by the judiciary.
0: Yeah, you're, so, you're, you're a rugby referee as well. Um, we, we've got that right, haven't we? So, so how, do you, how do you reconcile the ability to recognise foul play on the field with what is an active part in getting players off foul play charges off the field?
2: Yeah, so well, look, lawyers don't have generally have a problem compartmentalizing what they do as being part of the process, right? I mean, it's a little bit of the question you ask the defence, the criminal defence lawyer: How can you defend the guy if you think he's guilty? And it's like, well, my job's not to think he's guilty. My job's just jobs just to look after him in the process, to look after her in the process, right? So it's a little bit of that, a little bit of compartmentalization. Like, I'd never, I never, um, I'd never obviously get involved in a hearing in a league that I was. No, of uh, course. refereeing, in. Um, and you know, and look, I, you know, I've been lucky enough a couple of times to sit up in the TMO box or something like that at a Super Rugby game, um, and whenever I am, I'm always very careful not to engage with the decision makers in the room until well after the decision has been made, and then we might have a, a referees chat about it, right? But mm. um, but I'm but I'm pretty I'm pretty careful not to cross uh, that line. But I got into refereeing about five years ago now, I think. And I did it because when I was getting a bit older, so I'm in my late forties, you know, and I was like, I'm getting a bit older. I wouldn't mind doing, having something that forces me to sort of keep myself a bit fit. So I don't embarrass yeah. myself on a Saturday. <laughs> so that was part of it. But the other part of it was I found that um, I wasn't always getting access to the information that I wanted in order to do my judicial hearings. And I thought if I'm a referee, I'm going to be taught To do this, I'm going to be taught how to make decisions on a rugby field. I'm going to get access to some of the material that gets done. I wonder if being a referee will make me a better judicial advocate. So it was a sort of a dual reason, and I suppose the third reason was I wanted to give back. Right? I mean, you know, it's sort of trite, but the game of rugby needs volunteers. In my role as an advocate, I'm generally not volunteering. Um, Yeah. uh, uh, Right. So if I go and referee (laughs) community rugby on a Saturday, and I, you know, I generally do either. Um, senior secondary school or um, sort of under-20s or 85 weight-restricted club stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm in that sort of zone of maybe being one or two steps below our our top local referees. And, um, and I get to do some great stuff, right? You know, like I, I refereed a second 15 game on Saturday between two of the rugby colleges in Auckland that was just a brilliant game of rugby. And there I was standing in the middle of it running around, puffing like an old fella, watching these young guys, 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 <laughs> You know, do their trade, it was brilliant. I loved it,
1: and I think it has made me a better advocate, yeah. Right? So, uh, so Aaron Lloyd, playmaker, rugby advocate, rugby referee. What's next? Waterboy, is he <laughs> I, 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 water boy, physio. Water boy is a bad I, I, word.
2: I've done, no, no I've done well. Uh, water, water assistant. Um, although I see as of today. Um, World Rugby are restricting the uh, uh, use of waterboys. Um, certainly, waterboys yeah. that call themselves directors of rugby. <laughs> certainly,
0: c- um, certainly waterboys uh, who have access to a video editing software.
2: Exactly. <laughs> about three, about, <laughs> no, but about three weeks ago, I did exactly that. I ran water for Angus Gardner at the Super Rugby game between Moana that my, uh, my oh, city really? were hosting. And I got to literally run out onto the field with a with a bottle of water and a bottle of Powerade and say to Angus, "Which would you like?" And then you take one, and I would take it, and I turn around and run back. Again. So, you know, um, oh, that was to fun. What, back a, for what, that now. A, what a bloke! What a good bloke he is, by the way.
0: Yeah. What What's What's next for you? What, what's still still to come for you this year?
2: So, um, I'm about to find out whether Ireland need me to look after them when they're here um for the in July, July tests yeah. against the Blacks um and if they do then I'll sort of quietly just sort of follow them around the country and and look after them if they need it and if they don't need it because they've got someone else then I'll enjoy the series as a punter so that'll be good um so what's next for me is you know more of the same I think you know more more of the commercial work that I do and in the rugby space and in the sports space just you know more of this in addition in rugby, I, defend players but I actually sit as a judicial officer in both netball and rugby league
0: I was going to ask you about that yeah so yeah. You're, you're you're literally sitting you're experiencing this on both sides of the table which would be fascinating I'm sure
2: yeah and, and again better for me I think too yeah. but, you know so you know I think it makes me a better makes me a better advocate I think it makes me a more professional advocate knowing you know when I sit as a judicial officer what I like to see with people in front of me but yeah you know I'm I'm Man, I'm pretty lucky. Really. I get to do some pretty cool stuff.
1: Yeah. So, so I think I was, we the hashtag for you, better call Lloyd. And, uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to ask you Bucky's that has to be the biggest client you ever had, but who's the smallest client? Uh, probably John Pollard. Who's the halfback
2: for the new England free I don't know if you guys know Polly, but mm-hmm. he, um, he got red carded for kicking a guy in the head. Sounds bad. Doesn't it? Um, Uh, In an MLR game last year, but literally what happened was the ball popped out of the side of the ruck, and he went to kick the ball, and before he knew it, this guy's head just appeared in front of the boot, like literally, right?
1: Yeah. And it was funny because you looked at the
2: video, you looked at the video, and you went, "Oh, that's just an accident." Well, he he, New England didn't, and John didn't like the outcome of of the foul play review committee. So I came in as the white on uh, the knight on shining armor thinking I'd rescue him at the judicial hearing. I went to the judicial hearing and he got suspended. And I was like, oh my God, this is horrific. My first appearance in the MLR and a guy who quite clearly shouldn't have been red carded um, gets suspended. But that was one where we went on appeal and one of the rare occasions where we won on appeal. So we had to go through three levels with him. But he's probably the... He's probably the smallest, I'm thinking. There's not many small guys and there's not many small people in rugby, right?
1: No, very true. Can you can can you can you be our lawyer? Because we have to have a real lawyer for our pod squad. (laughs) We have Sean Sean Maloney and me on the team, so we're gonna need a lot of representation. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, look, look, I'm look, look,
2: I'm happy, I'm happy. Well, you know, you can run me one of three ways, right? You can either run me as the water boy, run me as the lawyer, or run me as the referee. But I understand John. John Kaplan's got the referee spot. True, true. Yeah, you can hide me on the wing, which is what they tried to do in high school, but unfortunately, I still <laughs> got showed up. Yeah, the, uh...
0: I think we've got a few guys hiding on the wing, actually. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, look, it's uh, been we... absolutely it's been absolutely fantastic to, to talk to you. I'm, I'm really glad. Uh, I'm really glad you reached out a couple of weeks ago, and I'm really glad we swapped, swapped messages and, and, and had the chat we did because this has been absolutely fascinating. Thanks for thanks for coming on for us.
2: Yeah, no worries. It's a pleasure, guys, and uh, great, great and. Chat. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. The roar, Harry. Great to
0: speak with Aaron Lloyd. Really, really, really enjoyed that um, that chat. I know, I know. You actually, you were surprisingly quiet at times. You were just soaking that in, weren't you? <laughs>
1: that was very interesting. Yeah, that was very interesting. It's actually a very interesting process. We all talk about it, and then we don't really know what, what we're talking about. So finally, we have yeah. someone who's been inside the actual cauldron. Yeah,
0: and that's and that's what I got out of it. Particularly, um, you know, we see the, the the public statements on a Tuesday or Wednesday morning from uh, the judicial findings, but um, knowing how they got there is um, is is a really interesting point to me. So yeah, that's, that was a really really good, and really really glad, really glad we uh, we got him on uh, Super Rugby Pacific round fourteen this weekend, the penultimate round uh, sees the Crusaders and the Andrua on Friday night, followed by the Reds and Moana Pacifica. Uh, on Saturday, it's the Chiefs Force, the Hurricanes, the Rebels, and then the Brumbies Blues on Saturday night in Canberra. That is going to be an absolutely brilliant game that I can't wait to get pitch side for. On Sunday, it's the Highlanders and the Waratahs, and then on Tuesday is that Round 10 makeup game between Moana Pacifica and uh, and the Western Force as well. What's your what's your quick stand out there? It's I mean it's it's obviously I mean, Brumbies Blues.
1: Yeah, RTS, Bowden Barrett, Bryce yeah. Caleb Clark. It's a it's a really scary backline. So I think it's just going to be: Can the Brumbies constrict it? Yeah, can they they bring it it back to their kind of their game plan? And they will. If it's just if it's just running to the races, I actually worry a little bit about that. The Blues Blues look like they can score now.
0: The Blues for the Brumbies won't carry the same aura that the Crusaders probably did. So I think Mm. that'll be a difference, and they should have Noah Noah Bolasio back as well, which is uh, which is good news. Um, Through the week. Australia were awarded hosting rights for the Rugby World Cup in 2027 and the Women's World Cup in 2029. The US gained both tournaments in 2031 and 2033. The impacts on both countries for the game are going to be enormous. Um, and we're going to try and have a deeper conversation about this in the coming weeks, aren't we? It's it's something that I think can that, that we can actually really get into over the next decade,
1: you in the States
0: and, and, and me in Australia. Yeah, so I'm looking I forward mean, to that.
1: For- yeah, for both countries, the cash, you know that, that that means. I know Rugby Australia is going to plan to have a fund, future fund. I know yep. if you give if you give the Americans enough time, like they have now to to stand up at a league, they're employing 360 players. You give them 10 more years, the thing could yeah. look quite different.
0: Uh, Nick White has re-signed with the Brumbies and Rugby Australia through till the end of uh, 2023. Harry Wilson and Fraser Mcride are set to return for the Reds against Moana Pasifika on Friday night in Brisbane, but they've lost. Uh, prop come hooker albert anna to eruption ruptured tricep so that's about the fifth hooker i think they've lost to injury this year hunter paisami looks like he may have re-injured his shoulder and he's under a bit of a cloud again uh, ethan de groot the large won't play for the highlanders this weekend against the new south wales on sunday shannon frizell may be back next week which i know you're a big fan of uh, the Blues will be without both Yuani brothers on the weekend. Rico picked up a hamstring injury early in the win over the Reds on the weekend. Akira is being rested three games after coming back from a foot injury. He's got a little bit of a, uh, a recurrence there. He could play the Waratahs next weekend if need be. And lastly, mate, um, London Irish... Teen sensation Harry Arundel has been included in Eddie Jones' latest England training squad ahead of their series against the Wallabies in July, but there was no room for Henry Slade, George Ford, Joe Marler, or Ben Youngs.
1: Um, Eddie's confused. It's flavour of the week, you know. No one was tackling in that. Yes, it's a wonderful try, but he just ran through like it was, uh, you know, in a carnival somewhere. it did not impress me. I think that they're still looking for speed on the edges. But Henry Slade has been a playmaker for England for a while. He's the one that creates the tries. If you yeah. look back in the it's year. really
0: interesting. Three, so, so three uncapped scrum halves in that England squad at the moment. Uh to Europe. Um Leinster and La Rochelle have won through to the Champions Cup final in Marseille on May, May 28th. Leinster beat Toulouse 40 to 17 in the, at the Aviva. Uh, On the weekend, La Rochelle beat Racing 92, 20 points to 13. Uh, Lyon will play Toulon in the Challenge Cup final after beating Wasps and Saracens, respectively. And on the URC this weekend, it's the final round, isn't it? And there's a couple of actually ripping games. Ulster against the Sharks in Belfast is fifth against third. Uh, Edinburgh, Glasgow at Murrayfield is eighth against seventh. And then it's 1v2 at the Aviva,
1: Leinster v Munster. That'll be a ripping game as well. Yeah, and the problem is Leinster might not play their top team Because they, they don't have to, they don't, do they? Don't really care And so that actually will probably mean That only two of the South African teams can make it in uh, yeah. I mean, Leinster plays 13 Irish internationals against Toulouse I mean, it's like you're basically playing Ireland And they just rest the entire team you know? yeah. And they have, a, they have a decent second team
0: must be, They must be running a squad of 50 or something it's, It must be incredible must wow. be and and then, imagine. Then, imagine yeah, starting did a series. Uh,
1: yeah, did you watch Itoje and Elizabeth? The I, I did see that. Right no. oh. the, the sequel, sequel, sequel. Oh, righto. Elizabeth Ibn was really fired up. You have to watch that. When's he the- not? He's always oh, really was, fired up. Oh, but it was really stealing line He was he was yeah. just monster monstering people. It looked like he was taking Bucky's. Uh, insult to him personally about he wasn't playing hard enough for club.
0: Oh, more rugby so, players taking to... things personally. Oh, I can't. I can't handle it. <laughs> um, I've got to put you on the spot. What would Jake? What Jake Gordon be doing if he wasn't Waratahs captain?
1: Oh, we're back to that series. Yep. I love that. Series.
0: Yep, I've thrown that back to you.
1: Jake. Jake Gordon looks like a roadie, but he looks like a roadie who who also <laughs> wants to be in the band and he sings falsetto. And, and on reflection, I think that Australia is a falsetto country. Because the Bee-, the Bee Gees were British, but when they came to Australia, they decided to sing falsetto. And then I also think that all number nines are kind of falsetto. I mean, look at Aaron Smith. He literally is screaming in falsetto. That's all outrageous. <laughs> what are you doing? Amazing. Oh... Oh, I'm so angry now.
0: But that is episode 16 of the Raw Rugby Podcast done. Don't forget, actually do forget Harry on the socials, but look up to me. You can drop us a line on the Raw when the new episode page lands Uh, and check out another week of Super Rugby Tipping where the words table movement don't do justice to what's just happened this weekend, just gone. The pod is on all the major platforms now. So like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to ensure the new episode drops any notifications as soon as it goes lives and leave us a review we'd love to hear from you it's the raw rugby podcast with me brett mckay and harry jones every week on the raw.com.au australia's biggest sporting debate and the home of all your favorite rugby analysis and opinions thanks for listening we'll be back in your ears next week
1: Come play with us